Welcome to the Drunk Guys Book Club, where books aren't just for school, where book clubs aren't just for women, and goddamn, these beers are good. I'm Mike. I'm Nate. I'm Jimmy. We're the Drunk Guys, and this week we are reading Go Tell It on the Mountain by James Baldwin, and continuing our Black History Month tradition that we made up this month, it's never been a month before, of reading just on this podcast. By, on this podcast. <laughs> Though in some parts we did not of the world, it Black may History not also Month. be a thing. But if you think we did, that's cool, too. Uh, we're enlightened. This is our second one, and we're starting with a beer. So I was going to say this for you guys, but I was like, ah, it'll be ages till I see you again. I'll just drink it now. This is called, uh, this is from Epic Brewing. This book is not particularly epic, but it's called Big Bad Baptist Imperial <laughs> Stout. And uh, throughout this book, you know, fiery preaching is a, even though they're not Baptists, they're like Pentecostals. I figured this is, this is probably the best connection we're going to find for a while for this beer. Might as yeah, well use it up. So. so it is a uh, very, very popular beer. It is a stout with cacao nibs and coffee aged in whiskey barrels, brewed in Denver, Colorado. And it has a world-class rating on Beer Advocate with, how many, yeah, with over... 4,000 ratings, so it's a really beer nerd-approved stout. I think this is our first one from Epic. Yeah, I mean, you don't really see too much. I bought this in North Carolina? Where's Asheville? Well, that's closer to Colorado. Somehow it is. Uh, Not by much. <laughs> so it's the can says it's brewed in Denver, Colorado, though it looks like the Epic Brewing might be in Utah. I don't really know how that works. But this is by far their most popular beer. They have a lot of variations of it. I managed to try one of them, one of the other Big Bad Baptists. You know, they kind of do Big Bad Bap double barrel or vanilla Big bean. Big Bad or Methodist. That would be fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> if they like, I mean, I don't know enough about denominations of Protestantism to see if there's like more puns you could make. But if Big Bad Rabbi had, you know, like matzah in it, that'd be fucking <laughs> awesome. Manashevitz. Oh God! It's aged in Manischewitz bottles, barley wine. <laughs> they're not even. They're not even in fucking oak casks. Uh, yeah. How is the beer? It's very good. It's a really nice, uh, you know, barrel aged stout. You do get the uh, whiskey flavor, a little bit of the coffee, a little co- cocoa. It's just really. I mean, this is this is you know, it's like almost a year old. So the, the fact that there's any coffee tells you it's pretty strong when they put it in there. It is. Uh, it is fucking delicious. This book, we vented at it, has about the Jesus. Go Tell on a Mountain is James Baldwin's first novel, and it is semi-autobiographical. And we could talk about that stuff later. But basically, it takes place in the major, the plot takes place in one day in 1930-something Harlem, right? Yeah. And uh, over the, uh, uh, on the birthday of John, I don't know if they have last names. Grimes. Grimes, right, yeah. No relation to Rick Grimes from Walking Dead. That we know of. It's John's birthday, and John is the oldest son in a household with a Pentecostal preacher father and mom who's, like, perennially pregnant, and they, like, don't even acknowledge his birthday at first because they're kind of... It's not really clear if it's because of, like, that's a vain thing or that's a... You know, it's because, do that kind of it's because his dad thing. doesn't like him. Well, that becomes clearer. <laughs> yeah. The dad, the dad sucks. Oh, yeah. His name is uh, Dad. No, his name is... Uh, Gabriel. Gabriel. I'm certain that 98% of the names in this book are have some kind of meaning. They're all... Bible most of them are biblical. Yeah, like most of them. Is Elizabeth a biblical name? I was going to say Elizabeth is probably the one that isn't and royal. Probably not. I'm sure there is an Elizabeth in the Bible. I'll bet you money there's an Elizabeth in the Bible. Maybe there's a Beth. There's definitely a Beth. Oh, man. Elizabeth is the mother of John the Baptist. Oh, that makes sense. Because his name is John. All right. Fucking the Baptist beer. I didn't know Elizabeth was that old of a name. Well, it might be. I mean, it's probably like 18 versions of it. Like Elizabeth probably comes from some, you know, older Hebrew version, like Elisheba or something, you know. And uh, yeah, so anyway, it's the we'll get to we'll get to the Bible shit later. Let's get through the plot because it's actually 
kind of straightforward? Like, what happens on this one night? So, really, it's, it's really more like the beginning of the book is about John. He's a 14-year-old, and it's about him and his father, and they don't get along. But then the middle middle four-fifths of the book is, is are, are, are all flashbacks of, of John's grandmother, aunt, father, his father's first wife, his father's, you know, side woman piece. he had. <laughs> side piece, yeah, exactly. And then his mother, and then... Uh, and then back to John. And I guess John's like little sort of a little, little experiences are a little bit in there in some of those um, chapters as well. But most of the book is actually not about John, even though it starts out with a long passage about him at the beginning. He hates his father, mainly because his father hates him. But his father is very, but uh, his father likes John's younger brother, right? Roy, a lot more, even though Roy is like, he also hates his father, and there's a passage in the beginning where Roy says, why aren't we so lucky to have a father that doesn't let us go anywhere or do anything, and we just stay in the house all day, and we can't do anything fun, you know, because he's very puritanical. Well, the dad beats the cock out of this other son, who's a ne'er-do-well. He's always in trouble for, like, in the early in the book, he, he gets uh, in a fight, and he gets knifed. Yeah. And then he slaps the mother for talking. Well, because the aunt, the, the aunt is there, and the aunt is like, "You the fucking suck as a dad." Gabriel's sister, older sister, and has yeah. never liked him. And this is the first time she's seen him in like twenty-two years because he left, or she left. One of them left. No, that was that was before. That was okay. That was at a that's a different thing. It, they did go twenty years without seeing each other, though. So, all right. So there's stuff about John, but John is like he wants to not not believe in God because obviously he does, but he wants to be religious. He wants to be saved. This is the sort of evangelical thing. He wants to be saved, but he's the problem is the church they go to, his father is one of the preachers. So John's very conflicted about having to like do what his father says, sort of, even though because do what his father wants, even though his father doesn't like him or he doesn't like his father. So he's very conflicted about God, kind of. But there's a, a like 17-year-old boy at who also was at the church named Elisha, right? Yeah. And he's sort yeah, of yeah. a model for a model for John. But then uh but still, okay, so but John really like hates everything, hates everybody. Except boys. <laughs> yeah so I, uh, hmm. I, I think we're gonna come back to that to the potential gay part later <laughs> it's more than potential so james well, baldwin explicit. james baldwin was gay uh although he didn't i don't know if when this book was published he would that was already known i mean it was 1953 um he he, he would have been 30 I, I think he was semi-closeted I don't think he wasn't like Elton John, but I don't think he was hiding it either. I think it was just sort of on the DL, which is probably true for a lot of artsy types in those days, you know, who have been comfortable enough to come out, but not, you know, you don't necessarily leap out of the closet. Though he, at this time, I don't know if at this time, but he, he spent most of his, or at least half of his life in France. He was, I mean, he's kind of a nobody in 1953. It's his first book. Yeah. So I don't know how comfortable he would have been in 1953. Like, oh, yeah, I'm some guy. Man, I'm gay. Yeah. As if it isn't hard enough to be a black dude in the 50s, also I'm gay. Like, wouldn't, yeah. Wouldn't have gone over well. But, the, but well, since we're talking about it, there, I, there were some moments where I wasn't sure if I was reading into it too much with the way, like, John is looking at Elisha. No, he jacked off in the bathroom thinking about boys. Was it boys, though? Yeah. Because it's it like was, he it stares boys. at a piss stain on the wall, and he's like, I'm going to jerk talking. He was, th- he was thinking about the big dicks that made those piss stains. That's a really... I mean, this is internet porn really changed a lot. <laughs> it's really, really opened up a whole new world for so people. So he's into Germans? Yes. <laughs> pissing on uh, So I've got this one because this book's all about the Jesus and people that don't get along with Jesus, they go to hell where they sleep now in the fire. And they rage against the machine. <laughs> <laughs> then they keeping the faith. <laughs> this is Sleep Now in the Fire from Big Alice. It is a smoked porter aged in Kentucky bourbon barrels. And it is 8.5% or 8%. Ooh. Wow. It tastes like fucking bourbon. 
Well, eight and a half percent beer in a bourbon barrel is not going to put up much of a fight. This one is, yeah, eight eight percent for this one. But it is, uh, yeah, no, it tastes, it tastes like bourbon, but not with without without the painfulness, without the burn. So that's nice. But it is probably the most pronounced bourbon taste I've had in a beer, uh, ever. <laughs> I mean, you know, when you get them, usually they're like, oh yeah, I can kind of get a sense of like the whiskey in it or something like that. But this is. They nailed it. They nailed it. Or they got maybe much stronger wood. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So anyway, the, the, the first night they're there, and he's talking to Elijah, Elisha, and they're, like, cleaning the church, and their people are coming in to pray, and then he gets called away to go see this brother got stabbed in the face, and then comes back to the church. And then a whole bunch of... And it's like, it turns into uh, a sort of weird religious black version of A Christmas Carol, and he gets visited by three ghosts, and he sees these flashbacks, and you're like, where's this coming from? Because he kind of, like, passes out did he, did, in the church. Did he see them? I thought they were just recounting their lives, like, I for think, the reader. I, I don't think it's so much as I, I didn't really get the Christmas Carol vibe out of it. I think it was more just like, okay, new section, now it's a different point of view character. But it's for a different thing that has nothing to do with the night that this plot starts. It's just like, let's explain how you got here. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't think he's And then it ends with, them. like, and it always ends with him, like, and he's, like, asleep, <laughs> you know? I mean, it might not be, it's not quite as direct as Christmas Carol. The way, it, when it ends, when it gets back to the part four or five, whatever the hell it's called, part five, after the third dream sequence, it's like he had some sort of religious experience. So I, always, I kind of assumed that those flashbacky things were part of his visions he was seeing. So the first flashback is actually his grandmother, as a slave. Um, and so talks about her being a slave and then essentially being um, freed by Union soldiers. And then a little, and then she has two children, one of which is her, uh, which, which is Florence, who is the oldest child, and then Gabriel. And then, but the grandmother doesn't really like Florence that much, but likes Gabriel a lot in sort of, he's the special one. She's the one that gets sent to school, even though Gabriel is a, ne'er-do-well, who was always not really trying to do school at all. He's always getting in fights. And then when he becomes a older teenager, he pretty much just goes out drinking, hitting the whorehouses every day. And is v- very much not what his mother would have wanted him to be. But he's very conflicted about this. And um, Florence, when uh, Gabriel was still pretty young, Florence leaves and goes to New York. She was like, screw it, we're getting out of the South. Where were they? Was it Georgia? Bama. I think it was somewhere. Or Mississippi. Um, okay, Mississippi. Well, anyway, they were, they were in the Deep South, and she leaves and goes to New York because she literally just wants to get away. She just wants to get away, and she goes there, but then it sort of, like, jumps forward, and she's, like, married this guy who is awful to her, and then eventually he, he he's also an, basically an alcoholic. He leaves her and is living with another woman, and then when World War I starts, that dude leaves to go to France and then dies. He, like, abandons her even yeah. before that. The, even though they were married, he lists the other woman as his next of kin and has to find out, and Florence has to find out from the other woman that he was actually dead. I hate being married so much. I'm going to go to the front where they're really not going to, they're just going to let me, like, wash pots because there are very few, like, there were black soldiers in World War One, but they all had, like, majority of them had shitty jobs, like... There were very cook. few that did any type of combat. The ones that did, like, did it for the French, right? <laughs> Isn't that the, uh, the Harlem Hellfighters? Yeah. yeah, the Harlem Hellfighters were for the French. and uh, But the, the majority of the Americans were like, like, you can't even talk to white soldiers. You need to go shine shoes, boy. It was pretty, pretty... Uh, As if it wasn't hard enough racist. being in World War I. Well, you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, not to say that they had it easy, but at least they weren't in the trenches. They're like, you're going to stay back here and scrub barnacles off their ship. Like, that's fucking miserable. I mean, there was no good place to be, I suppose, but it's insulting. Like, you can go, you're going to go fight for us. Okay, fight grime. Like, grime doesn't pay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so, I mean, the significance of this section, I guess, is just to explain part of Gabriel. Like, he, his mom beat the shit out of him all the time. I mean, it, it's simply the simplest. His mom beat the shit out of him all the time. And that's what he does to his kids. Like, all right, that's well, she that beat up. the shit out of him and then prayed over him. You know, I was like, oh, I right. just got to pray to Jesus because my son's a shitty little douchebag. 
but he's going to be good one day. And so, God willing, yeah, that's what he does. He's you know he's supposedly as an old man, a man of God, even though he is still a shitbag. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you really The is. next point of view character, the next sort of flashback dream sequence character is Gabriel. Oh, wait, there's also like, is it in this section? Which one is it where you find out what happened to his first wife where she can't have children anymore? Oh, yeah, no, ever? it's in this section. Yeah. It's in this section, right? It's just, I, it was like, it went by kind of quickly, or I guess it I did. was not reading well, carefully enough. Because the character hadn't ever been introduced before. It wasn't really like a, a known character at all, you know, but she's going to become important later. And then it's just kind of like, oh, yes, and this other girl, she was raped by a group of white men out in the field. Yep. And that's Deborah, who is his first wife, who can't have children after that. So you're like, yeah. oh. Who's going to become his first wife, but not, not right away, not for Let's a while. Let's keep reading. So. <laughs> is this fun? So I'm gonna need a, I'm gonna need a drink to uh, continue to talk about this. <laughs> this is for when everybody's at the church together and the magic hour. This is Magic Hour by Artifact Cider Project. This is a <laughs> craft cider. It doesn't have anything fancy in it. Magic Hour is a dreamy and harmonious cider made with tannic fruit and our house culture. Our house what? Culture. Culture. I think that means yeast. Culture? Are you saying and culture? What are you saying? House culture. Oh, culture. You said culter. And I, I was did. like, yeah. did they? S- I thought a culture was like a thing that they make cider in that I didn't know about. And I was like, is that, is that like, that, like a Scooby? Like a thing you make fucking, uh, <laughs> oh, what's that shitty hipster tea out of? Uh, kombucha? Kombucha, yeah. It's like a Scooby or something is, is the. A uh, Scooby? I'm telling, I don't fucking drink kombucha. Yeah, Scooby is one of this. Uh, and it's. It's like the yeast puck of, it looks like flan. <laughs> like, oh, that's what I need to make kombucha. It, it looks like discharge. How's the, how's the cider? It's fine. It's good. It's a little bit tart. It's kind of dry, but it's okay. It's cider. It's delicious. It's hard to go wrong. That's true. It's a symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast is what SCOBY stands for. I had to look it up. I knew it was something. I don't want anything acronym. with that in it. And that's kind of beer, actually, too. Yeah, but I want to think about it. It's like knowing how the sausage is made. We know how the sausage is made. Oh, we do. Uh, speaking of cider, Gabriel likes to get inside her lots of women. <laughs> and that's <laughs> how <laughs> There you go. That's the segue. And in the next section, it's... it's ga- so these are a whole... By the way, I don't know why, but these are all... It's like three prayers or something is the name of this section. Uh, well, actually, I, do, I have a theory why it's called that. But this is Gabriel's prayer is next. So Gabriel basically finds Jesus, you know, finds religion and gives up mostly. You're right now, Jesus. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) He kind of gives up his drinking and whoring ways and becomes a preacher. And he's very, very angry. Um, And then he sort of becomes, he gets good at it. And people like like his preaching. And there's this whole scene where he's at the, 25 greatest preachers of all time have come <laughs> come to preach and he gets invited and people like it and he but the other but afterward the other preachers they start making fun of Deborah and he's like he doesn't say it out loud but he thinks like fuck you guys you know what I'm gonna marry her cause she you know she's a holy woman yeah mm-hmm. cause she, she suffered the most but they they're like they say something like kind of eh, means, you know, making fun of, not to her face, like when they're in there no. in like the green room for the, for the reverence. <laughs> and he's like, shouldn't we be better than this? And they're like, dude, relax. It's just, you know, just making some jokes, cracking wise here in between bouts of Bible shit. And he's like, no. About the uh, gang rape your girlfriend suffered that ruined her for life. Teehee. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I'll show you. But he also has a dream, right? Like God is like, that's you, you'll like, yes. my seal will be upon your fucking line or whatever, like on your, your royal yeah. line. Oh, indeed. Did you, say, did you say royal? I did. I have beer for this. This is, oh my God, it smells fantastic. This is called, uh, from Evil Twin New York City, it's called E.T. Stay Home 5, Royal Treatment. Mm-hmm. This is, uh, Nate, you had the E.T. Stay Home 5 a while ago, right? And I believe you found it undrinkable. Is that correct? Am I remember No, it was, it was still good. It was just so acidic, it gave me heartburn. 
because it's just it was just like orange. It was just like <laughs> ah, it was still tasty. Does orange it's juice still, give you a heartburn? I get that. Get the reflux. This was. This isn't like just the orange yogurt. juice. This is like super acidic orange juice. Mm. Well, first of all, it wasn't orange juice. If you look at the flow chart. It was mango and peach. Oh, there was orange uh, in that one. I well maybe royal so, treatments don't get orange. So what? Unless they're <laughs> from the Netherlands. Yeah. So actually, the original was not made with orange, but it was made with passion fruit, mango, and peach. And this is the same beer. It's a sour ale brewed with passion fruit, mango, and peach, and uh, milk sugar. And then they add to it coconut, marshmallow, vanilla, and cocoa, which really... Cocoa I mean, and all that fruit? No. I mean, it really, it cuts down on the... Because I know exactly what Nate's talking about, like the super acidic... The citrus juice. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like it, it's like you didn't realize you had wound, wounds in your esophagus, but it, it stings them. <laughs> It 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 cuts it tempers that because it's so sweet from the other things and it's fucking delicious. Oh my goodness! This is the second time they've done this with the ET Stay Homes where they redid one, but then they just dumped extra crap in it. And you're like, oh, that sounds ridiculous. And like, man, it works. You could have one. You cannot have more than that. Other than you have, you just cut off a toe. But it's really, <laughs> it's really delicious. And uh, you know, in this chapter here, we're gonna meet uh, we're gonna meet Gabriel's royal line, royal in air quotes, I guess, or more like he thinks he's gonna have a son who's gonna follow him in God. And things are not really peachy, uh, like this beer is. Gabriel, even though he's been married to Deborah for several years, they have no children, but he just decide he just de- decides to go have an affair with a younger woman. They, she's hot. They, yeah, she is quite attractive, and they fuck on the kitchen floor. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First among time. other places, and only they're only together for nine days, or technically nine nights. But then a couple months later, she comes to him and says, "One for each inch, one night for each." <laughs> Talk about the royal line. Um, a couple months later, she comes to him and says, "I'm pregnant," and he's like. Well, this is bad, um, partly because he's married <laughs> already, but also, but he's most concerned about what it would do to his reputation, and like, I'm a man of God, I have work I need to do, I can't have people knowing that I sinned, and so he steals money from Deborah and gives it to Esther, what's this? Esther. Esther, this is Esther, and to go, like, go away and have the baby, go to Chicago, with her family, have the baby where she dies in childbirth. In childbirth. But it, just to show you the dated, you know, not that the book is dated, but the age of it, he's like, go to another town, city, far away, start a new life. Here is $17. And she's like, all right, this will do. <laughs> this will set you up. Yeah. This will last a little while at least. I'll see you in about 12 years though. But she dies in childbirth there. And he finds out. They send the kid from, back. But like his wife tells him, right? Yes. Deborah gets a letter and he's like... That's not until Royal dies. When he's like, you know, 15. This is like 15 years later. But no, but first, and he finds out like just the fact that, that Esther's dead. Someone, was it Florence then? Somebody is like, oh, that broad died. Deborah, Deborah like, hears oh, it from people really? in okay. town. You know, everyone stays in touch. So Deborah hears it and tells him that, oh, she died and they're sending the kid back to live with his grandparents here. And he's like, oh, that's a bummer. Definitely not my kid, though, I promise. And she's like, cool. And he had also been worried because he had stolen the money that she had hidden. She had saved up this money during you know, whatever she did, and he stole it to pay off his, his mistress. And then he replaced it, and he's like, I don't know if she ever found out, but we're never going to talk about it. <laughs> you know, and now the money's back. She can't prove a goddamn thing. And then yeah. time goes on, and then, of course, the kid is... Um, Wild. Yeah, like his father, and, mm-hmm. and then uh, when he becomes a teenager, he gets killed. Was it by knife? He was gambling. Yeah, and they think he's cheating at cards and or he's something. Cheating at cards. The other guy gets mad and stabs him with a knife. He dies before they could even go to the hospital, is what the one of the women says. And then he's just and Gabriel's like, "Wow, that is that's swift." <laughs> 
Alrighty, back to that Bible. And Deborah's just like, by the way, I knew the whole time that he was your kid. She's like, oh, I'm so sad. She's like, you know, if you just told me, we could have just like kept him. And he's like, I fucked up. Well, she said, he's like, how, how long did you know? She's like, I knew from the time she came to church, the one time she came to church. Like, we didn't even fuck that night. She's like, yeah, but you wanted to. He's like, oh, fuck, that's such a wife thing to say. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> you got me. And, you know, because all the, their life oh, is just is full of <laughs> highs and lows. <laughs> Though I admit I got this because of high with Jesus and low with Satan, because they call people low N-words constantly in this book. But this is high-low from Finback. Is a, oh, I didn't get to try that. How it's a double-dry-hopped, double-India pale ale, and it's just a shitload of different hops. Uh, and it's 8.5%. It's pretty good, yeah. It is a nice-tasting, very aromatic, hazy IPA, you know. They make so many. They just make so many. It's really hard to tell them apart. They're all good, but I couldn't tell you which one was which. Yeah, the extreme, it's usually the ones that stand out better are the ones that have something in it. It's got a, like slight, a or something. slight cantaloupe vibe. Does it have... Um, Sabro? Sabro, yeah. Uh, Mosaic, Amarillo, Citra, Belma, Blanc, Eldorado, Waimea, Idaho 7, and Nelson. I don't know why you. So not Sabro, but every other hop there is. Interesting. Well, uh, well, Belma also gives citrus, uh, gives a uh, melon kind of flavors. I'm sure the other ones do too, actually, but it doesn't, it doesn't, I just happen to know that. Anyway. It's good. You could also say there's a lot of times in the book where they talk about Oh, the Lord brings you low so he could raise you high in that kind of thing. Or like, oh, the Lord will only bring you yeah, so low. There's a lot of low and high. So, good connection. You know what else would bring you high? Oh, shit, yeah. Would be patrons? Uh, head on. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, thanks for listening, by the way. That's also pretty sweet. But if you want to go, you know, the extra mile and get that good seat in heaven, then head on over. Oh, good seat. seat. Okay. See, yeah. Something my dad always says, like whenever someone does a nice thing, he's like, that's how you get a good seed. I thought you said seed. I was like, oh, gross. No, I don't want the good seed. <laughs> Someone's going to fill you Just with get, their seed. I mean, that happens a lot. Jizzed on this, by St. Peter. Why do you think they call him St. Peter? St. Peter North. <laughs> uh, so anyway, <laughs> where was I? Patreon. That's right. Head on over to patreon.com if you want to support the show financially, which is always appreciated. And um, for in return for your you know non-tax deductible money, you can get... Uh, early access to our episodes. You vote in our monthly book poll. You can get uh, bonus content exp- available only there. We'll even send you cool things like uh, the cool sticker of the Drunk Guys Book Club podcast logo or the pint glass that I am drinking out of right now. And the other guys are too, which makes beers taste at least as good as they would have in any other glass, if not better. And even a copy of a read-along book. If you head on over there, that'd be really sweet. And it won't pentacost you too much to support us that way. There's a Methodist to the madness. <laughs> Couldn't let that joke go to waste. Um, yeah. So, and if you can't do that, that's okay too. But if you are able to leave us your review where you're listening, that helps us immensely as well. So that's basically the end of Gabriel's section, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, that was your kid. I knew it. He's like, ah, oh, you got me. And then we get to Elizabeth. Elizabeth's dream. In Elizabeth's section, this is uh, John's mom, actual mom. You find out, this is where you find out that Gabriel isn't John's father. Yeah, so she Elizabeth had, uh, was living somewhere in the south, I forget exactly where, um, and there was a boy she was interested in, and he was like, hey, oh, actually, first, she went to like when she was a small child, her mother dies, and her aunt takes her away. From though she loved her father, but basically he ran a whorehouse, so his aunt was like, "You can't stay there," and then takes her away. You don't want to go into the family business. <laughs> yeah, good point. Though uh, I was, I wasn't sure. Did he definitely do that, or was it just like implied? Like he said he ran a, house, a house full of, of music, and yeah, so it could have been just like a bar or a juke joint, anything, because it was you know for his aunt, who's like a hyper religious zealot. A bar Anything that had bad. whores in it. Well, yeah. Where else would you keep them? <laughs> and in his, in her mother, in her aunt is very strict, very religious. 
And she hates it, loves her father, but her father never comes to get her, bring her back either. Anyway, she's now like older teenager, young adult. She's interested in this boy, and the boy's like, yeah, hey, I'm going to go move to New York. Why don't you come with me? And she's like, uh, yeah, sure. So they start living together, living in sin, even though nobody cares in New York. Um, and then they were, though they, she thought they were going to get married right away, but they don't actually because he has to like, he's like, no, I need to go get a job. I know I need to go do this. So that kind of doesn't happen right away. And then he gets mistakenly arrested for a crime or more like he's arrested uh, on a subway. He's standing on a subway platform in three youths of color that had robbed the store walk right up next to him and get arrested but because he's next he's sort of like next to them the police are like just arrest him too so the police think he did it and he's he gets you know gets out of jail or gets like you know goes home and then and then kills himself and elizabeth had never told him that she was pregnant oops she the timing wasn't right it's really what she said like, oh, mm-hmm. i couldn't tell him he was you know just got fucking he had a rough day shit kicked out of him interrogated and uh this is i don't want to spring that on him now yeah but then but then also maybe if he knew he wouldn't wouldn't kill himself himself. like maybe she could have told because he didn't kill himself in the courtroom when he got acquitted he came home and killed himself that evening like maybe that could have come up like oh my god what great timing you are acquitted and guess what (laughs) like what are we having a second I think casserole? Acquitted. No. I think he just like got bailed out of jail. He was still going to. No, be they in said there was no him. evidence, and it says like the jury oh, okay. was like, "Ah, oh, fuck! I guess we can't commit, convict him too." Yeah, like try as they might to convict him, and the other people testified like it definitely wasn't him, and there was no evidence. And it was like, "Oh, fine, 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 you're out. We'll get you next time for something else you didn't do." <laughs> well, I, I you know I I was wondering why did he kill himself, and the only explanation because he was such a self-assured person you know he was not cocky but confident and had you know not necessarily big plans for life but he was doing stuff with his life yeah and he had said something early like he would take her to the museum and to plays and she was like there's fucking no other black people here dude and he's like i don't care i'm gonna, I, I told myself that i'd be the smartest fucking black guy around so these white people would not be smarter than me and that way they couldn't beat me that way and then I think he kills himself because they still beat him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he realizes that no matter how smart he gets, he has no control and they can just fuck him to death whenever they want for no reason. Yeah. Yeah. The system it'll, is not. It'll break a man. Not, not fair. And it not, it's not winnable or it's not, uh, you know, it's, it's basically only losable. Yeah. <laughs> right? you, you could hope to not lose uh, in his, his case, but you can't, you can't really win. Um, so he kills himself, which is, you know, destroys her basically. And uh, then she, Elizabeth has the baby and then happens to be working with Florence. And then Aunt Flo comes to town. <laughs> <laughs> A little too late. <laughs> That's how she knew she was pregnant. Like, where's Aunt Flo? Uh, <laughs> uh, and so she gets introduced to Gabriel because, uh, Deborah died though. It's not really explained exactly. Basically, he's come to New York now, and they get introduced, and she's going to the church, and where he's a preacher, and they, she's like, I, I know I'm older, but I want you to be my wife, and so they get married, and then start having a bunch of children, and then, so then you basically, you found out that John is not Gabriel's son. He's the son of this other guy, but that's probably one of the reasons why Gabriel doesn't like him as much. And that he his it's favorite not his, line. his favorite is his own son, even though his own son is a ne'er do well. And also from the start of the book, like the opening line basically is John was going to be a preacher, like he it was his destiny to become a preacher, or something like that is like the opening line. Yeah. much more beautifully than that, of course. But you know, John is following in Gabriel's footsteps, or at least trying to. And John and Gabriel's like, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> That's yeah. True. Also, John doesn't know that. Gabriel yeah. isn't his dad. Yeah, when I got when I got to this point in the book, I was like, "Wait, is this a big reveal for me, or did I were we already supposed to know this?" <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think we you really know until at least halfway through. At some point, you yeah, I, I, not until you get to like Elizabeth's section, which is still which is close to the end. 
It's like two-thirds of the way through is when Elizabeth Section starts. So it's like more like 80% or something, you know, when you finally get the, oh, fuck, now I get it. Yeah. And so now you flash forward again to the present day, which is 1930s New York, where they're, they're all in the, they're all praying at the, at the church. Florence is there and everybody's there. And basically, uh, John has his like, big religious experience where he becomes saved and Elijah helps him even though his father Gabriel is Gabriel is like I'm gonna beat it out of you kid and he's basically still hates him doesn't like it but Elisha sort of finds the way I guess sort of making it so that John really is the son that Gabriel would have wanted but Gabriel's like yeah I don't believe you really had that yeah still, still that didn't really happen him. Still doesn't like him. And then it's basically the end. Like oh, He kind of talks to Elisha, who is like comforting and is like, hey, man, you're going to be great. <laughs> it's all good. The Lord brings you so low so he can bring you high again. <laughs> kind of just pep talks him. Yeah. This and is then no he goes, no matter what, you know, I'm saved. So whatever happens after this, I, I, fucking, I fucking nailed it. So whatever, man. And he see, and I remember, like he sees the uh, the father when he returns home after this crazy crazy night uh, with Elisha, who gives him like a, a very non sexual kiss on the head, right? Kind of like they didn't say which a, head, a smooch from God, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, he sees the father, and, the, and he's like smiles at the father, and the father's like, "Yeah, I'm not even gonna smile. <laughs> Fuck you." The father does not smile back at him because he's a dick, or Gabriel, his stepfather. And that's the end of the book. Whew. Yeah. Right? Yeah. All In terms right. of plot, yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, there's more we could say. I actually have a lot of thoughts on this because um, this is a book I was supposed to read in high school. That's that's honestly insane. Yeah. I That's how I felt the whole time. So this is a book that was on my uh, in junior year uh, high school, which if you're are one of our international listeners, it's... Uh, um, what grade Q? I don't know what you guys use, but it's, it's uh, like three it's purple frogs, owls. eighth form. I don't know. Uh, so anyway, it's uh, you know, you're you're fucking 16, seven, 16 or 17, right? So this was one of the random books. I don't know, I, I didn't read it, I, I did not even, I, I pretended to read it, I skimmed the spark notes. If you had read it, you would have gotten just as much as you would have if you hadn't read it. That's how I felt now. So I was rereading it now. I was reading it pretty quickly. So I made. I'm sure I missed some things, but I understood the plot. I had to go back and like look over. Like oh, this is kind of confusing here. All these relationships between people. It that, was that super confusing. Got, it was a web. Yeah. Um. I mean, I literally showed you. I showed you before. I literally drew out a family <laughs> tree to like make sure I remember all the relationships. But in high school, I don't. I don't understand. Like a lot. Of, we've, this is not. This is far from the first book you did in school that we've done. Many of them I could see a purpose, you know, like Catcher in the Rye. Okay, it's a teenage character, uh, and it's a sim- it's simple language, and it's about teenage experiences, sort of, and, you know, hating the system. Teenagers could buy into that. I feel like for this one, they were like, it's also about a teenager, so it should be fine. Tangentially. And probably, to a degree, they're like, we don't have any books by black people. So this is, you know, this might be good enough. And it's shorter. I ca- and it's, it is shorter, but it's it's not fast. No. It was, this was not nearly as quick a read as I thought mm-hmm. it would be. And I kept saying, I was like, why the fuck did we read this in school? What would, there's I no way I would have gotten this. There's nothing I would have gotten out of this. Definitely not. All, all I remember in school is that kids talking about the guy jerked off to the pee stain. That's what I remember. <laughs> so you got something and, out and of I it. Was like, and when that came back up, I was like, oh, fuck, familiar ground. All right. To be young again. <laughs> But I don't understand at all why this was a book that we were supposed to read in junior year of high school in, you know, 2004. This is <laughs> a book you'd have trouble with in junior year of college. Just from the amount of, I mean, to really get it, the amount of biblical shit you need to understand, which I didn't. Yeah. I not read the Bible that it. closely. Like all the characters' names you mentioned before. All of those, there's no fucking accident there, I'm sure. I'm sure they're all picked on purpose. And... And has something to do with that character in the Bible. Don't don't know any of that shit because I didn't. I've not you know studied that. But one thing is interesting. 
recently, my wife is friends with a teacher we had in high school on Facebook. And by friends, I mean like she just lets everyone be her friend. Though not my wife. She's she's discerning, the teacher. Um, whose name I won't say, but she's retired now anyway. And she recently posted just kind of randomly, like there was some sort of dumb one of those like tag your friend games and it was describe your favorite book in so many words or something. And it's ultimately the English teacher said this book was her favorite book. So this is a woman who's you know been was a teacher for thirty years and a reader for decades more probably. And I was like, why is this anyone's favorite book? This is a a strange book to say. That's my favorite book, you know. And the only thing I could think of was that that particular teacher had been extremely religious early in her life. And she was a nun or something. She was a nun, right? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? Right. And right, she right. was she she was a nun, and then she stopped being a nun. Got married, had children, did the whole you know opposite of the nun. I'm thing. gonna have none of that. None <laughs> of that. Breaking that habit. <laughs> So I was like, well, maybe that's why. Because I, reading through this book, it seems to be, until the end at least, it's like very critical of religion. Oh, yeah. But then the end, I'm not really sure anymore. Maybe maybe it's not. Maybe that's like the bring you low to bring you high again kind of effect. Well, it's, you know? um, James Baldwin was, this was a semi-autobiographical, because I think all the older people were invented. But he was a kid who by age 14 was like supposed to be some great next big preacher. Like his, he has a, he had a mean hyper-religious stepdad and a, a nice, you know, docile mom as that was expected at the time, I guess. Mm-hmm. And he was also a kid who was like, yeah, I, I like dudes. And back in the thirties, that was, you might as well just fucking never say anything or just kill yourself at that point. But, he definitely had his struggles with the hyper religious, even for the thirties, like the standard religious stuff was pretty hardcore as opposed to what we have to today, but they were way more intense about it than most folks would. So it was definitely a lot of how he fell out of religious life and all the bullshit about it. But then why does the character get saved at the end? Why does that happen? Maybe he wants a happy ending. That just feels kind of, I don't know. I I don't know. I, well, it's also just like he. A lot of the book is about banging because it's a super repressive religious thing where anything involving sex is just sinful, and all the religious people are, you know, don't ever touch anything with your with your junk. But they all do. All the all the supposedly most religious folks are the worst. They just have wide stances. It's different. <laughs> <laughs> Only if you're a U.S. senator. That's a, for a topical reference. <laughs> what is that, 2010? Six? I have no idea. I can't even remember that. Something Minneapolis bathroom. Right now. Minneapolis airport bathroom? Yep. Larry Larry something. Carrie or Larry? What was this fucking... Larry Toilet Man. Nate, come on. You know this because he was a Republican and you like to dunk on them. What was his name? It's been a long time. I can't Googling. keep track Googling. of all I, the I just, Okay, it's Larry Craig. I googled Larry Craig. wide stance bathroom. And I, <laughs> <laughs> it's good to be oh, known Larry. for something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's from Idaho. Okay. Utaho. He was a hoe. Um, who got caught in a men's bathroom soliciting a, uh, soliciting a man sex by like, Apparently, you kicked them in the foot under the door. I don't know. what. And he was like, no, no, I just stand wide when I piss to make room for Jesus. He, just, he, uh, likes, to, he likes to do um, stretches to keep his pelvic floor like loose so he doesn't pull it. He's doing ass kegels. Yeah. He shits all at once. Oh, it's, like, <laughs> it's like a football. Back to the book. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, this book, is it's it's about religious shit, but it is a lot about the religious view of sex and just anything involving any kind of sex, especially extramarital because Gabriel, you know, the supposedly holy man is a whoring douchebag as a kid grows up. Then he marries the woman in town who was raped to the point of not being able to have children anymore. And he doesn't love her. He just marries her because he wants to, kind of have like, look how holy I am. 
I have this holy woman, I've taken her in, and it makes me look good, and it makes me good with Jesus, because, you know, so he can't like see my motives besides like being all-knowing, all I guess. Uh, and then he has an affair. And, you know, he he's a shitty dude. And it's a lot of shitty religious fundamentalism and the effects it has on people. And maybe James Baldwin like a world where you know, you can be religious and not be a fucking asshole to everyone around you. Nah. <laughs> what was the fun in that? <laughs> <laughs> that's not how it works. No, I, I think that's possible. I just, so it's like it's an optimistic ending. It's like, hopefully, John's going to change everything that just happened. Like, it's all going to be different he was now. just saved. So maybe he's saying, like, if God accepts me as I am, as a gay kid then we'll see what happens. I mean, day two, he might have been like, I'm definitely not going to, it's not going to work out. But like <laughs> right then, maybe there's a chance. Maybe it's also the kind of ending a book in 1953 needed. Maybe you couldn't write a book that was completely renouncing religion at this time, especially if you were black and gay and trying to get published. You just and couldn't nobody, do that. Yeah. It's possible. So just the fact that it, that he that at the that after everything that happens he finds Jesus and that's probably something that made it acceptable or acceptable enough. Though there's a diff, though there's a different question is about whether James Baldwin whether that he, it was really if that was really a story from his life or if that really was like yeah when I was fourteen this is what really happened to me so that's why I wrote about it in the book. And even though a lot of the book is pretty negative about religion or at least the, the fundamentalist kind of ideas, that doesn't mean he wasn't, you know, a religious, religious person and didn't like religion, ultimately. I don't know if he was religious. I think he wasn't later in life. I think he, he like, left the church as a teenager, like, or left, you know, he might not have become an ardent atheist, but he left, he was a preacher for a few years and was like, fuck this shit, and he left. Maybe he's just like, it's, I just don't, it's not my thing, I don't believe this, and it's not a thing he worries about. So growing up the way he did, it was obviously a hugely formative to him. So another th- thing, you know, this book talks about race obliquely. Like it doesn't really directly yeah. talk about. I mean, it, it's just it's a theme. It's a thing in the book, obviously. But you know, like they mentioned the brutal rape of the of Deborah by the white men, uh, and there's mention of later when uh, fuck what's her name. Elizabeth and Richard are like going and he's like, but white people are going to look at us, you know, like, and there's like a lot of just like little things like that. They won't notice us until we try to go into their buildings. Baldwin is known primarily, I think today for his writings and speaking about race. And he was involved sort of with the civil rights movement, though he was kind of like uninvited because he was gay. You know, that's like, there was also a big documentary a couple of years ago, maybe like two years ago. I am not your Negro. Yeah. A year or two. Yeah which had a much more colorful original title. And um, his words, not mine. I didn't say it. <laughs> you said it. You thought it. Uh, so um, he, that's what he seems to be known most for today. But this book, it was kind of obviously there because it was fucking there in 1930s anywhere. It's, it's way more subtle than the religious stuff. Yeah. I'm surprised to see that so minor. Though maybe like the whole world that they live in is part of that. And I think, I'm thinking maybe this is like a little too much English class right now, but like the name of the church is the, the something like the temple of the f- baptized and f- fire baptized, something like that. The temple of the fire baptized. Something like that. And maybe, big stretch, saying something about uh, the formation of black people in America or like the, his character at least or himself in the, 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 the crucible of uh, of America, like the fire, like this is what has formed these experiences because it's like, there's a slave grandmother, like that is a thread um, that spent ha- literally like one says like she spent half her life as a slave and half her life not as a slave. You know, I feel like there's something there. I can't quite articulate it. And she beat the shit out of her kids for Jesus. Maybe it's that. That's what I was trying to get at. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was there was a lot there was a lot of race stuff. It's it wasn't as it wasn't as prevalent, but it was like peppered throughout as just like subtext for everything. 
Well, also like Richard's death, right? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, you're black, you're guilty. But also like... But uh, I didn't do it. Florence was uh, bleaching herself, trying to make herself more light-skinned mm-hmm. because she was oh, yeah, constantly yeah. talking about, you know, like how blacker people are not as attractive and how she every time she talked about uh, her shitty husband, Frank, and his shitty friends, she always talked about how like they were low people. Uh, that was not the word they used, but, but she, even she would say like these, like the, these certain black folks are just worse. They're just bad people because there's no other capable of is like shitty lives of drinking and crime and whoring. And because that's what these people do. Like there was a separate class of black folks that just do that. And she has a lot of, as they would say these days, internalized racism where she, thinks worse of black people because that's what she has seen her whole life and that's what she has experienced and that's what she believes of herself to a certain extent for herself. She mostly just hates his friends. Or else, or is it that she's just, why aren't they rising above and doing the right thing? Was she the one that would go to the uplift meetings or was that Elizabeth? Like they talked about the meetings they would go to in Harlem where they went uh, see like, I read about this somewhere else. I looked it up. What the fuck that was? It was like meetings hosted by like W.E. Du Bois and uh, other prominent folks to like talk about, you know, the black community and trying to make things better. Like oh, community organizing for, you know, whatever that might be. I don't remember this in the book. It was just a passing thing. Like sure so they would there. go to these meetings and they would, you know, try and make things better. But, you know, him and his friends were just shitty and they would always be shitty because that's what they were capable of. Well, there definitely is a what's it called a shadism. You know, like, Absolutely, yeah. That that's a thing here. I don't know how related that is to the uplift stuff. That sounds like a Booker T. Washington sort of thing. I that might have been the other guy. Yeah, uh, I think it was Booker T. And um, and the it's not Booker T. That's from w- WCW. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just thinking. You had told the story about how you were supposed to read this book in high school, but didn't. Um, and I was like, huh, proudly, I was, I was also thinking like, what would I have thought about this book? Had I read it in high school and I had I definitely never even heard of it when I was in high school and I'm still, it didn't come out yet, Nate. (laughs) (laughs) That might've been why, um, and I'm still not super familiar with all of, with James Baldwin's, you know, books. So I should feel like I should read more, but I was thinking at least now at my current advanced age, I actually really liked the book. I thought it was pretty good. I thought, um, and I can I can see why people would like it. However, I'm sure also when I was in high school, I would not have gotten it at all and would have hated it and would have been like, why, why am I reading this? I could definitely see me, see myself thinking that at the time. It takes a lot of, just, I get not maturity, but a kid's just not going to get a lot out of this. It's hard to read. It was hard to read now. I liked the book, but it is challenging. And I don't think it's, that's what needs, I mean, this, we've said this many times. Like, I don't think that's the point of trying to get young people to read books. It's like, here's a challenging book that'll edify you. It's like, no, like they're not going to get it then. They're not going to do it. Okay. Was it more challenging or less challenging than Beloved? Because it definitely reminded me of Beloved. This was easier than Beloved. Yeah, definitely easier. Beloved was more hard, was more challenging to understand because there was so much like magical realism shit happening and like opaque language at times. This was the it was straightforward, but it was, there there's obviously just every paragraph you could get layers of symbolism that I just didn't get because I don't know the Bible well enough. And I kind of like like a minister to read this with me and just tell me like who this person is or what this reference means. Cause I know because James Baldwin is obviously way smarter than me and I'm sure Not there's anymore. a lot. Dead, well, no. Yeah. Now waste when he left. was alive, <laughs> but he, he obviously knew what the fuck he was talking about and I don't know what he was talking about. I feel like for this book, understand like what Jimmy described, like all like the biblical shit, like that's hard to get if you don't have a big book vocabulary for it. But at least understanding the plot, even if you're not, if you're, you know, willing to put in the work, 
and a decent reader. So I'm like, oh, by the way, this part is like a big flashback, even though it's like not super clear right away. And you're like, what just happened? Like, These are flashbacks. Oh, okay, fine. Whereas in Beloved, they'd have to say like every three paragraphs, oh, yeah, and now it's a ghost. <laughs> or actually, no, it's not the ghost anymore. That It's like a person. Oh, now a it's a different not, person's point of view. Yeah, it just shifted. That it different shifted time to. period and person. And uh, yeah, that's that's different. You just get every uh, every it'd be like every six paragraphs. Just assume it's not what you think, which would not be very helpful. But it's kind of is. So I understand why. For if you if you need to find a book written by a black writer to give high school students, this is better than Beloved in my estimation, just because it's easier to understand. But I'm sure there are ones that are a little more accessible nowadays. I mean, it only just came out, but Nickel Boys, far more accessible than this. Yeah. Yeah, and a very enjoyable book. I'm sure there are schools where they're reading, you know, like The Underground Railroad already, which is you know, four or five years old at this point. Or, 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 I mean, I guess it's, you know, it just seems like in, what I remember about high school, and I could be shortchanging my high school curriculum now, but the only, like, black writers are like, and now let's do that whole, that quick unit on the Harlem Renaissance. Here's a Langston Hughes poem. And a story so one about, and uh, uh, moving one about on. Raisin in the Sun. And then they say, you're done. You got it. Is that uh, Lorraine or, or does it Hansberry or something like that? What happens to a dream deferred or whatever? Oh, that's that's yeah. the Langston mm-hmm. Hughes thing, yeah. Um, they tell you the Harlem Renaissance it, happened. They talk about it for a minute and then they move on. Yeah. And the only other thing we read that was by a black writer was Things Fall Apart, <laughs> which is not a, just by an African yeah, that's writer. A different. <laughs> even, different uh, <laughs> Different vibe. So, yeah. So, I get... I mean, I understand, like, wanting to give kids this experience and wanting them to, to, to learn this kind of stuff, but it's just... They could read, like, a part hard. of it. They could read, like, one of the flashbacks as, like, a short story. Because they're kind of, like, three short stories that are, like, tied together by common characters in the middle. And maybe and they could the read, like, part of At the very end of each flashback, it. there's, like, a thing, and, like, and then John flinched in his seat, and you're like, oh, it's back to him yeah. now. Like, no, it's not. He's, it's the, he was, like, a common ground for all the stories. But as a whole book, it's a lot for a kid. It's a lot for an adult. Yeah, it was challenging. And it's also not like a novel. I mean, it's not like the kind of typical novels where it's one character. There's a main character and it's about their, you know, conflict and their sort of like growth and their thing they're trying to accomplish. It's really just like John for, you know, for a good like, you know, 10, 15%, 20% of the book. And then suddenly it's just flashbacks for most of the rest of the book. Yeah. And it is, it does seem very unrelated when it first comes in. It was, it was hard to follow. Yeah. It was hard to, Gabriel's story was particularly challenging where it's like he had like 46 wives and they're all different. Mm-hmm. He was like, who, which one was which shit? And you go back to the other characters from their point of view and like, oh, was this a wife or is this a sister? Who is this? It was hard. It was something you had to like read very slowly or continually read characterless, which I had to do before we did this, just so I had them straight because it was it was a short, really, really, really dense book with very, very dense language throughout. Oh, the language is there's a lot of beautiful writing in it. It's really it was very prosaic or word nerd. Yeah. It's really great. Would you say this is better than our previous entrant, Native Son? Is that what prosaic means? <laughs> I have no idea. Is that a boner Prose pill? means like... <laughs> I think prosaic means like not poetic. Does it? Sense. Really? Because it means like prose, which is not poetry. It's not? I think so. We're just a book podcast. Yeah. We don't do poetry. You tell us. Well, then the last important question, though, is who should read it? I mean, we kind of said not high schoolers, but we seem to like it. Yeah, I don't know. I, mean, I would say, like, if you, need, if you want to read some dense stuff, I don't want to say if you want to read about black history, because it's not black history. It's, it's definitely not the best book for that. No, but if you want to read something by a smart dude who wrote a damn good book, it's a good book. It's hard. If you're looking for an easy read, don't do it. Just don't. You will not get anything out of it. You'll leave frustrated, and you'll, you'll give up. I enjoyed it, but I wouldn't just recommend it to anybody unless they're a very confident reader and already know quite a bit about this kind of thing. Yeah. I agree with that. But it is fun. You know, not fun. It's a good <laughs> it's a lot of fun. <laughs> Fun's not the right <laughs> word. 
It's enjoyable. It's like if you're, it's like you, I could just finished it literally right before we started recording. And I was like, wow. Well, As I, did I. <laughs> that was a good book. Like, I wouldn't say like, I loved it because I didn't. I wasn't like, oh, I can't wait to see what happens. But I, I don't know. It's kind of hard to explain. You know, it's not like a page turner, but it's a book where you, you, you read and you're like, oh, that was actually a really good book. It's one of those ones that it feels like there's always going to be more to get from it. It's almost as if like, knowing the plot beforehand will make it much easier to read the book. The first time is you're just struggling to keep up. So if you've made it this long, you're ready to read it now. You have a vague sense of what happened, as we recall. <laughs> Very vague. In some order. So check it out. Great book. Uh, in the meantime... Tell us what you thought. Send us an email to drunkguysbookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at drunkguysbc. Or go to Facebook and Instagram at drunkguysbookclub. And again, if you've listened this long, uh, why not head over to that patreon.com slash drunkguysbookclub where you can support the podcast financially. And uh, we definitely understand that a lot better than we understand this book. You can also give us a bunch of stars wherever you're listening. Um, just give us five stars or five units of measurement out of five, whatever the platform is you are listening to. Give us all the stars. And check out the Hopped Up Network, a network of independent beer podcasters. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.